because I don't, I don't have another anecdote. Maybe you do about like this past week that comes to mind. I can just be like, I'm really tired already. I could say something about like daylight savings time or something like that, but okay, um, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out, dude. We always figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, somehow we always figure it out. Well, debatably, like yeah. <laughs> My editing, <laughs> we'll edit we something, and it'll your editing magic will take care of everything. Um, episode eight of the Unwise Index starts right now. Right um, now. As always, I'm one half of your host, Akshay, joined by Monik. Yes, present. Together, but separate. <laughs> Together, but separate. But soon, I mean, when you make your New York trip. I need to make that trip. I, I keep. I feel like it's become like one of those promises like that is starting to lose credibility at this point. Like, it's like, I'll be there soon. <laughs> you got to just book it in the calendar, man. You just got to buy the just ticket. Just do it. Just do just it, like do Shia, it. LaBeouf Shia LaBeouf says. Just do it. We got to bake that uh, Russian birthday surprise cake. And, oh man! Uh, have the uh, have the in person podcast. People are waiting for it. People are waiting. They are. They are. I'm actually. I'm. I'm pretty excited to try an in person podcast. Um, I don't know what sort of editing challenges that that you think. Do you think it actually makes it easier or harder? I think it'll make make it easier in editing. But I think that if people are under the impression that in person will make the podcast better, that's kind of impossible because the current unwise index oh, man. is already the best. Like there's no room for improvement. I wonder right? how many people just dropped off upon hearing that. Like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't take these guys anymore. There's, there's literally no room for improvement. So all we're doing is just like, just we're going to, it's going to be the same old, yeah. same old, but we're just going to be next to each other. Well, I don't know part. if it will be though. Cause like there are certain folks um, like famously, I think it's Jeff Gerstmann um, from giant bomb who like basically like is very militant about saying, I don't want to have a regular podcast that is over Skype or over any sort of online thing because I think it it's adverse to the conversation. Yeah. So he like will only do things in person um, or like, it's not like he won't like, but it's like, that's what he strongly, strongly prefers. And so like, I wonder if like, we'll notice that degree of shift when we do it in person. I mean, I think the major benefits is like, you're not talking to like a voice in the void and you don't have to rely on Skype. The void, to, dude, the void. <laughs> the void, legacy of the void, really. Coming out Tuesday. Thank you, Blizzard. Sponsor. Sponsor. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Appreciate it. <laughs> you might have seen us on the, on, you know, mentioned at BlizzCon. And it's one of those rare things where the sponsor mentions you. Pretty, pretty exclusive. Pretty happy about that. No, but I think that one is that benefit. And two, we don't have to rely on Skype and uh, Microsoft's cloud system uh, That's for true. us to chat. Though, to be fair, we did notice that a couple Skype disconnects were the result of our own wireless networks going out, not Skype. Um, so Skype, it's true. I mean, not, you're, not off the, you're not off the hook. By process of elimination, Skype, you're doing okay. When you, when you add it up, we know it's Cortana doing this. But like, Well, Cortana we is still... now, well, Spartan is now Edge. It's a new browser. Well, Spartan is now, so yeah, you think they would have gone with the consistent theming, right? If they're going to call one thing Cortana, why, don't, why not call the browser Spartan? Yeah. Why did we name it's it like Edge? Edge what, what, is there going to be a new product line called Corner or... I'm not sure anymore. Sick burn, Microsoft. You hear that, Satya? Sick burn. Yeah. Harmonic <laughs> right there. I'm waiting for the Microsoft corner. Well, but we got the Microsoft Surface. Wait, they're actually being consistent here. Uh, Surface, Edge, corner. Yeah. Calling it right now. Next product line for Microsoft, the corner. It's going to be a car. It's going to be a car. Turns corners really, really well. Well, apparently every tech company is getting into making cars. So it's true. You know, that's a thing that'll apparently happen in like five to 20 years. <laughs> I can't wait, dude. My driving skills are atrocious like well we both grew up in the midwest right and, like we're both used to just having to drive everywhere yeah. and like it's kind of crazy when you go back home i think maybe you have this same experience where like i tell people i don't drive really at all anymore and they kind of look at me like i have three eyes um 
And like, I think it's great as too. I think it's great as well. Like, I I really do not enjoy driving more than I have to. Like, occasionally getting in the car and like going down like a a pretty empty road can be fun. It's like you know you yeah, drive yeah. and you're listening to some good music. But it's like having to commute and having to drive everywhere. Not something I miss at all. Thank you, Uber. Tra- thank you, Travis. Thank you. Yeah, Uber really. Shout out to Uber. Shout out to for Uber. being for being for being available for folks like us yeah. who can who could drive and have the means to drive, but are just. Who are just too damn lazy to do it. Exactly. Or would rather not. So you're coming back from London this week. You jet lagged. Did the daylight savings help you at all? Yeah. So there's this thing where like London is ahead of like um, us when it comes to setting their clocks back or forward or whichever way it went. So for one week, London is only four hours ahead of Eastern time. Oh, interesting. And then it switches back to being five hours ahead. Um, and so like there's that week where like scheduling meetings and like talking with people suddenly becomes a little bit easier and then it goes back to normal. So it's it's... Again, I don't know what the history of all this stuff is and why it didn't all just line up, but yeah, there's it's a week off, so like now we're we're sprung forward or back. Do you know which direction? Fall back. I think back. I think we're falling back right now. Yeah. But so it's one of those things where even when someone says fall back, I still don't know which direction. It's like, like <laughs> four to three, four to five. Like which? What do you mean by back? Yeah. Um, it's like it, it. It's like my geography skills. I never learned them quite right when I was. I never learned time zones it's quite that correctly Egypt, when dude. I was. Kid. I'm gonna bring it up. I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> it's going to bring it up. You never forget. Never forget, dude. Remember, remember, 5th of November just passed. Oh, man. Uh, what Are you drinking anything special for this? Uh, just just cold brew. Just trying to stay ooh, awake. I had some Jet cold lagged. brew earlier today. Yeah? yeah? I mean, what do you thought? You were not quite as much on the cold brew wagon as I am, but do you enjoy cold brew? I don't, I don't even know where you stand on I, I enjoy cold brew. I don't like it with any uh, skim milk or 2% or any yeah, same. variant. Yeah, Black. Of milk, I just like it pure cold brew with a pack of Splenda. Uh, I mean, oh wait, so you do you do dilute it? You put some sugar in there. I put some sugar some in Splenda. it. I mean, I don't believe information that says a Splenda is bad for your health. I, I just don't believe it. You know, facts be damned, science be damned. You just because you because it's an inconvenient truth potentially. <laughs> exactly. Hashtag global warming. <laughs> Splenda is really the cause for global warming. Hashtag not true. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. I mean, let's be real. Look, global warming. Yeah, we didn't I mean, do it. Global warming. I mean, it gets hot, it gets cold. This used to be global. Like my, my favorite anti-global warming comment is like, wasn't it global cooling like 30 years ago? Just make up your mind. It's all. I mean, come on. How could, like people keep these scientists just keep changing their minds. It's just two degrees, thing. dude. Two degrees Celsius. Two degrees. Two degrees. Two de- I can change two degrees in my apartment by clicking a button on my AC. Actually, one of my all favorite right? moments from the kids' table debate was when Lindsey Graham was asked by the moderators, like, "So you believe in global warming?" Like. Like, why do you believe, like, nobody else on this stage believes in global warming. Why do you? And he's like, he basically, like, he was such a strange moment of, like, this guy trying to shamefully admit that he believed what 95% of scientists (laughs) believe. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just like, you know, it's like, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to talk about solutions. Like, I don't want to talk about it. It's like Ben Carson talking about vaccines. He's like, man, shit, like, my base is going to hate this, but I am a doctor. Like, I got to do something about this. Oh, speaking of our boy Ben Carson... Grains in the pyramid. Grain in the pyramid. In the pyramid, dude. They can build that, dude. Was it like understood if that was a like thing that was specific to his his branch of Christianity, or was that like just his own personal pet theory? That was, from what I understand, the quote was he was at a he was at a lecture, and he said, "What I believe, you know, what I think is true is this." So I don't think it's associated. Oh, so that, was just, that is all, that's just his own theory. Yeah, but I, obviously it was probably influenced by uh, Seventh-day Adventist short, uh, Church. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. But I, I would like to believe it's not. I would like to believe that Ben Carson just has this pet theory. He's like, you know what? They need a grain. I don't know where they were putting that grain. They were putting it in they there. They probably put it in the pyramids. Put it in there. Are we, are we willing to state a preemptive 
RIP for Ben Carson. Because, like, the implosion nope. this past Dude, week. he's number one. He's number one I, number I know, two in the polls. I know. I know he's number one and two from the past week. But I'm saying this recent week with the realization that he did not get accepted at West Point. He never even applied. And he's been... That, quite, was, that was some strange stuff. That was very strange. Shit. Like, well, I, I was, was first, like, giving him, willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Because he's like... I can understand, like, if you're in a conversation with a high up at West Point And they're, mm. like, telling you, like, oh, yeah, you'd be great at the school. And... You, so apparently, so apparently he was in ROTC as a high school. Right, right. You and that was like another like uh, caveat. He was ROTC. He was doing well in ROTC. He met. Right. He did meet with this guy, um, and this guy apparently did state in this dinner conversation that you'd be great at West Point and we'd love to have you. But he then extrapolated this into uh, <laughs> submitting an application, being admitted, and being admitted with a full ride. And that all was a lie. So I'm like... Well, I mean, but the, but if you think about the way he probably professed it, right? It was like, oh, I was offered a scholarship to West Point. Maybe he took that dinner conversation to be like, if I put in the effort, I can get a scholarship to West Point. Yeah, but so I was agreeing with him, right? I was giving the William benefit doubt, like this was a conversation and he, like reasonably you could assume that this is, you know, true. But then I was reading excerpts. I was ex- reading excerpts from his book, Gifted Hands. And like yeah, verbatim, he's like... I was extended an admission to West Point with a full ride. <laughs> it's like you can't maneuver out of that, right? Like there's only there's oh, only. Oh, you want to bet? Just watch him. Watch him maneuver. Watch him do the V rolls. Yeah, he. I mean, he's he's got to maneuver. But what I'm worried about is I think a lot of his a lot of the people that like Ben Carson like his his purported authenticity, um, and this is I think going to be a huge huge burn against him. I like the dude because he seems like he's perpetually on Nyquil. He's just like yeah. in that haze. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I'm willing to put it out here, dude. Preemptive RIP for Ben Carson. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with my boy Donald Trump and say, how can you say that? Look, scoreboard. He's number one or two. So. Well, Donald is still no, in his mind is still number one. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he's, he's still, I think, pretty firmly on top of most of the polls. I think Ben Carson is catching up. But again, like I am just looking at the clock and saying, like, it is only. What less than two months till the co- like about two months till, till the first primaries begin? Like, just let this madness continue a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, just come on. Like, I don't. I don't like, like what we're all like. What I'm like kind of hoping doesn't happen, just because. I don't know. I guess. I guess I don't want to see society in a good state. I don't know why I would think this. It's just like for pure entertainment value. It's like if if like it starts to decrazify by January, um, and starts to like consolidate around the candidates that are like more mainstream. Yeah. Um, like that's what's expected. That's what people on the Republican establishment side hope happens. But like, I'm just hoping that this craziness continues <laughs> for like a few more months. The unwise index needs material, and this is like that's really maybe that's really <laughs> it. it's like, uh, what are we going to talk about? Yeah. Forget the future of America. We we need some material. That's what we need. Indeed, indeed. Well, one thing we do have on deck to talk about this week, um, which prob- which would relate to the future of America, yeah, um, healthcare particularly. Um, is some controversy around the company Theranos. Yeah. Um, so interesting topic because it's been sort of a point of controversy kind of uh, across the mainstream news for the past couple of weeks. Uh, we're interested in it because of, you know, it's, it's pretty big controversy, but also yeah. because it relates to sort of biotechnology and sort of labor, you know, lab testing. And I think, you know, both of us have a background in biotech. And so yeah. I thought it might be, you know, something worth discussing on the podcast. And also like the... Um, the uh... The veracity of entrepreneurs is generally in yeah, the field just, of startups. The, like, how does that? Myth, um, how does the myth uh, closely align or parallel to reality? And I think this was like a great example, a great case study of what's going on. 
Yeah, and very mu- a case study that's very much still in progress. Again, the jury's still sort of out on what the res- like the resolution will be, or you know, sort of how this whole episode will be judged. But yeah. um, sort of talking about it in progress. Yeah. Um, but just as a bit of background, um, Theranos, company based here in Silicon Valley, uh, by a by a, a young lady named Elizabeth Holmes, who dropped out of Stanford at age nineteen to found this company. Um, and and like sort of there's like again like we talked about the founder myth. Um, like there's this idea that she was like, you know, sort of like very gifted student, like learned Mandarin at like a very proficient level when she was just in high school, yeah. like got to study abroad despite only being a high schooler as part of Stanford's program. And like just a year into being an undergrad at Stanford was basically like, I want to drop out and found a company yeah. that is going to like basically have at its crux like a whole new way of being able to take less blood and run like a higher gamut of tests with greater efficiency. Yeah. At a cheaper cost too, right? Like it was, it was a win-win all across the all across the board. It was less blood, less human error, results getting to the individual in need more quickly, and mm-hmm. at a scale of economic value, like ten x uh, cost reduction. So pretty bold claims. Just an extremely bold set of claims for somebody who was 19 years old. Like I think about like what we were doing at 19. It's like maybe you've taken biochemistry like 101. <laughs> maybe you've taken like chem too. But like, you know, the idea was she was able to convince, I think, a professor of hers to sort of work on this at least one day a week. And, and join be, like her. the first member of her board. Yeah. And like, yeah, and like sort of uh, st- like uh, people were, were confident that she could, at least some people were confident she could do this with like at, at 19 years old. And so she dropped out. She starts to build this company. Um, and it's been around for about 10 years, right? right. She's 30 now. Right. And the company is worth $9 billion, um, has this partnership with Walgreens, has delivered you know, to some extent on this promise. And they have this technology that allows you to take just a pinprick of blood. So like a finger sample versus um, a sample from the vein. Yeah. And like sort of the, the promise there is like you can just do this tiny amount of blood and run these tests that would normally require a ton of blood. Yeah. Um, and she has been... Uh, Elizabeth Holmes has been just, you know, a, a very a media darling, high rising media darling yeah. in like the past, you know, several months. We don't mean that to, you know, don't mean to say that to sound, you know, pedantic or demeaning, but it's like she has this board that includes Henry Kissinger, includes like several former secretaries of X, Y, and Z yeah. in, the, in the U.S. government, and like it's just like this bizarre thing where it's like, how did this person? A, a there's like a paradoxical time temporal aspect to it, right? It's like. A, like she's sort of come with this amazing rise in recent months slash the last year or two, but the company has also been around for like 10 years. years. Yeah, many years. And it's also, I mean, we have to also denote that this was a promise. This was not, I mean, right now the main controversy is that this promise is not being realized to potentially the time frame they talked about. Right. So the controversy um, brought about by a Wall Street Journal article um, you know, I'd say probably, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago at this point? Yeah, three weeks, yeah. Um, that basically pointed and said, you know, hey, Theranos is claiming to disrupt the lab testing business. Like, that's basically run by a duopoly of Quest and LabCorp right now. Yeah. And, like, these guys, like, these are sort of, like, in typical Silicon Valley fashion, painting these guys as, you know, they, you know, require tons of, you know, blood, you know, a high volume of blood to run very ordinary tests. It's inefficient. Like they're they're the old school approach and like we're the new school approach. Yeah. And what, what the Wall Street Journal article said is, but in reality, like they're using this sort of nanotainer pinprick off your finger blood solution for only 
like one test that's FDA certified right now, which is a herpes, I think, simplex test. Right. And every other test they run is actually very much a vanilla test and involves using, you know, a vein sample of uh, like a large amount of blood and doing tests the exact same way these other two players do it. Yeah. And like it's sort of the intimation was and, you know, it's worth mentioning that a lot of the information from that article apparently came from disgruntled former employees that were talking to the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And said like they didn't feel like what was being sold to the public um, around like sort of how disruptive the technology currently was, was what was actually happening in partnerships with Walgreens and like other pharmacies. And so like it's sort of like this this case where like it's not that Theranos can't eventually get to the point where they're doing exactly what they want to do. But it's like, are they on the rise right now? claiming something yeah. and how much was selling ahead right how, how truthful and how transparent were they with their clients and uh, and the consumers and the public i think is the main thing and this is a fucking huge market right this is i mean 75 billion in revenue for these diagnostic lab companies quest and lab corp which are the main competitors with an expected yeah. growth to 250 billion which is why Theranos is currently valued, as you said, like nine, ten billion dollars. I think that was their; those are their numbers, were they not? The two hundred fifty billion potential market size. Yeah, so that, was, saying, like, that was Theranos's numbers, with like the reasonable assumption that the consumer market for asking for lab tests is going to grow. And I think that's a reasonable. See, assumption. I'm not sure. I think the, I think it's I think it's it's fair to say that if it's really like you know the difference between having a huge needle in your vein and a pinprick yeah. to get. Um, you know, tests of all sorts, like people will be more, you know, it'll be a lot less friction to go and get lab tests done. But like, it seemed like it was sort of a strange extrapolation to go from 75 to 250 billion, just based off the assumption that someone's going to be like the, the populace as a whole is going to be more incentivized to go get more tests. Like, I don't know yeah. if there was more to that analysis, but like, I know like one of the, one of the criticisms in an article that I read, might've been the original Wall Street Journal article yeah. or like a related one was like, that's a, that's, a, that's a huge sort of increase in market size based off of a behavioral change that you think will happen. Um, well, I think it was the behavioral change, but also the expected progress in how many tests can be tested for and the accuracy and validity of those tests. So if I yeah, could tell you it. that you could test for okay. cholesterol changes, diabetic, uh, pre-diabetic status, uh, glucose levels, indications of kidney and liver problems, cancer pre-diagnosis, like I think the incentive is large enough that that the market will expand that much. I think I think that's reasonable. Right. Um, and, you know, I think like we both, you know, as people who are like interested in entrepreneurship, interested in technology, interested in biotech in particular, yeah. like want to see something like this succeed because there's so few examples of sort of disruptive biotechnology um, you know, sort of like there, there, there aren't very, very many examples that hit the modern airwaves. Yeah. Um, and like, so it's not like we're, we, I think we probably fall at different parts in the spectrum between like, you know, how skeptical we are of, of sort of what their analysis claims are. Right, but like, right. I think it's probably fair to say that we both want to see this company succeed. Yeah. And I think, I think like the, the overarching like cloud over this entire discussion is, as you said, like no matter where we fall, I think we both realize that this is a problem. Like we'd realize tests are too expensive. They're not readily accessible. And I hate getting needles in my... Yeah, like I mean, that, do like, you have a needle aversion? Suck. I don't have a needle aversion, but I always... like It's just unpleasant, right? It's like one yeah. of those things where as part of my physical last year, I, I was supposed to go get 
blood work done. And, you know, sorry, mom, I still haven't done it. It's like it's one of those things where, like, I was supposed to go do it. And just, like, the thought of, like, I have to go sit there and they have to take this long blood sample. And, like, it is one of those psychological things where the aversion to doing it is real. And I felt it. Yeah. Um, so like if it was like a pinprick on my finger and like it's like one of those nanotainers that could do all the tests I need to do, that would be like a significant lowering of the threshold for me to go get tested. Exactly. I think for like for just like basic cholesterol testing yeah. and stuff. So, I mean, like I think said. we agree that the uh, the problem is existing. And like I recount like needle aversion. Like I'm not a burden. Uh, I don't have a needle aversion directly, but my brother definitely does. Like, but he had oh, like yeah? a terrible experience where he had to get a blood draw and. We were both like pretty chubby at the time, and like the nurse couldn't find his vein. Uh, that's always how it starts. It's always some <laughs> vein problem, yeah. right? It's like you can't, you just keep sticking yeah, the person. And, and literally, he got stuck, I think, like six or seven times. And like by the end of it, like he was frightened out of his mind. So, I'm, uh, this this aversion, and, and the aversion is, is part of Elizabeth Holmes' story, the Sea of Theranos. Part of her story is that she herself was a, uh, had a needle aversion, which is why one of the main reasons she wanted to start this company was like, why the fuck are we still like stabbing people with needles to draw blood? Yeah, I think one of the quotes was like, if an alien came and observed us and they saw people doing this, especially when they couldn't get the vein the first time, they think that was a very torture. creative method of torture. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, I thought that was that was a great quote too, which goes to like how well Elizabeth Holmes presents her story and her vision like another aspect of this and we'll get to the core of the controversy and what we think of it but elizabeth holmes as an individual and how she's risen through the ranks i think is a pretty great uh view on how entrepreneurs are able to sell a myth Uh, like you look at the board you got henry kissinger you got bill frist you got a lot of people who have been very high up and have a lot of control i mean one could say i mean this is this is the literally the Illuminati, dude. right? Like, she has Getting pretty close. the Illuminati on her board. She's kind of uh, concocted an, uh, a sense of her where when she's in public venues, she's wearing the same stuff. She's wearing the same quote-unquote costume of a, a black might turtleneck. Inc- might include a black turtleneck like Steve Jobs. Yeah, exactly. A black turtleneck. She's been compared to Steve Jobs. And in fact, people have said, like, she's like Steve Jobs, but if Steve Jobs had a heart. Like, there's everything around her that's claim. building this myth where she lives a life where she's monolithically focused on Theranos. She doesn't go on dates. She has no friends. She doesn't have a TV. She doesn't take vacation. She is a vegan. She only drinks, like, these green fucking concoctions, like Soylent. Um, so she's done a pretty incredible job of making herself almost ethereal. Crafting the image. Right. Crafting the image of her being literally above the fray. Uh, which I think added partly to their success, but maybe also, and I think this is where we dif- differ, is might have also impacted the way people perceive her and impacted the negativity around her. In fact, exacerbated the negativity because I think people are very hesitant and angry at the fact that this person is like thinks she is special and she very might well be if this, beha- this behavior is accurate. But I didn't think it did, uh, won her any any friends by stating that she lives this very austere lifestyle. Well, I think you're I think you're right. I think like when you paint somebody in sort of this monolithic, like very like almost stereotypical, like entrepreneurial, you know, sort of you know Paul Bunyan type story where it's like they built this amazing thing and like they are the myth incarnate. Like there is that much more of a reason if you're a reporter or somebody trying to get attention. Um, which you could argue like anybody in the media business is trying to do to some degree yeah. um, to try to take that person down a peg. Um, 
So I think there was definitely the incentive there to write an article like this, given just how crazy the media blitz had been the past year. Again, she was at Ted Med. Yep. She was at, yep. I think, regular Ted. She had a New York, like a huge New Yorker piece, New York Times piece. Um, again, I think there's, there is a legitimately compelling part to the fact that she's you know, of Silicon Valley and trying to do something that is very traditionally not of Silicon Valley, yeah. which is like this very large, like biomedical type rollout, uh, which is not software. It's like not cloud services. It's, it is like something that lends itself to like the media hype train. Yeah. Um, With a long timeline too. I'm talking about 10 years and right. she checks and I, all the boxes, I, Stanford dropout, you know, like worked on, worked on SARS in China. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like has like had done a lot in like her, her short time up till that point before she even like started on, on Theranos. And, and so like, I, I agree with you that I think there was a priming there for somebody to try to take her down a peg and take the company down a peg. But like, I, I'll say like, then I read the article yeah, and I thought yeah. like a lot of the claims that were made and also how they were like sort of refuted or not refuted in follow-up articles by Theranos um, is what kind of got me to be a little bit skeptical. Yeah. Again, like I think the jury's still out, but I think it, it seems like it is true that Theranos is doing a lot of FDA testing when they when a lot of people have not. But the reason for that is because the two big existing lab testing corporations, Quest and LabCorp, use lab testing equipment from other manufacturers. Which have already gone through it. And they have to – I guess like the strangeness of the rule is if you make equipment, you have to have that equipment tested. But if you use the equipment, as long as it's been tested – by the manufacturer, you don't have to retest it. Yeah. So Theranos is claiming to build a new proprietary nanotainer-based testing lab on a chip solution. So that's why they would have to do the testing to begin with. Yeah. So it's like they kind of painted as like we're going above and beyond to do this testing when it's like you have to do this testing anyway because you're making a new type of, you know, sort of blood testing equipment. Yeah. Um, and then like the, the big thing though is like, okay, so like there's the FDA thing for the new type of testing approach they're doing. But what they're like, and this is where... I think the marketing sort of differs from the reality is like they're actually using venous, like, you know, blood from the vein level samples for most of the, like the array of tests. Yeah, venipuncture versus finger prick. And the finger prick right now, which is like the whole basis of like their differentiator, like what the media focus on, focuses on, is only relevant to, I think, a herpes test right now. Right. That's all that's been approved right. because it uses their proprietary testing. They claim that there's like sort of proprietary ways in which they do the other tests. Yeah. But like, I think what the Wall Street Journal is calling attention to is like, there's a lot of hype around this company for doing, like apparently doing something very, very different. But in reality, they're actually just using the same equipment and the same approaches as the competitors are trying to admonish. Yeah. Um, so like, that's where I felt like it was a legitimate point of criticism. It's like, I felt like, okay, so like the hype about what could be is, detra- is detracting from how they're actually supplying services to people right now. Yeah. And they weren't, and they, I mean, if I was them, like, I probably wouldn't play up the fact that like, currently we're relying on a lot of established methods to do, you know, things in what seems like a pretty ordinary way. But like, um, it did seem a little bit like they were, like they were a little bit like not forthcoming about that information, which is what rubbed me the wrong way. No, but I think I agree with you. I mean, I think th- I mean, I initially, when I read these articles, I was quickly uh, willing to throw Theranos under the bus because this goes back to the perception of Elizabeth Holmes. Like I'm coming from the startup field and I see time in, time out, the myth really forming into reality, like the distortion field and the delusion very quickly, if it's repeated long enough, it ends up being what people believe. And I thought that played a role in what Elizabeth Holmes was talking about. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, she's checking all the boxes and people are willing to believe it to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. Um, but then I, I looked at, I mean, I think that the key thing you mentioned here is that 
the main controversy is around that a lot of their tests are still being done via venipuncture versus same old way same old way but then i think that when you look at and res- read the responses from theranos I think they agree to that. And in fact, the reality is, is that Theranos has stated in the past, and this is where my view changed from willing to throw Theranos on their bus and say, this is a Theranos implosion. And this is the bullshit we've been seeing in the startup world for so long, uh, which we'll get to in a bit. But they've been stating that they're using venous extraction of blood since three years ago. They've been stating this in multiple times and people are focusing on their technology that they said is still in development. And I think it's an unfair criticism. One, because they stated in the past that they are using venipuncture for conducting the tests. And two, they stated that even when they're using venipuncture to conduct their tests, that the venipuncture techniques they're doing for analysis, because one part is the extraction of the blood, the second part is the analysis, the analysis is still unique and it's still patent protected and it's still their IP, uh, which I think is, which is good. Maybe they've fallen under the the problem of selling a head in a sense where they're trying to sell people on the vision of a, of a world where nothing is done being done via venipuncture, everything is done via finger prick, when in reality they're working towards that. And I think that's uh, par for the course for any startup that's trying to disrupt really anything. Because if you start off and say, hey guys, we need to do something similar to the status quo until we get to a point where we can disrupt things, that is not a sellable idea and it stunts your growth. Well, I would agree, but I think this is where, like, I think the comparisons with Steve Jobs kind of fork, right? It's like, what is Apple really good at? It's good at sort of deploying technology, like, and again, you might disagree with me if you're not an Apple fan, but like deploying disruptive technology or very advanced technology when it's ready and like not talking about it ahead of time. Yeah. I understand that like, Biotech is different and like the way you have to prime the market and prime investors is different because of the the lead time on getting technology to the field. But like you watch some of those interviews again on the media circuit that's been going on the past 18 months with Elizabeth Holmes and like you it makes it sound like it is a clean paradigm break with the existing model. And currently in use, right? I think the main thing and is currently, that... like, like like that's the whole reason why Wal and that's the whole reason why Walgreens has decided to partner with them and that they, you know they have Henry Kissinger on their board doing whatever Illuminati shit Harry Henry Kissinger does. Yeah. Um and like in reality, yeah, it's gonna if it's an iterative transition to using the the finger prick technology, that makes a lot of sense. That actually sounds really sensible. It sounds believable. Um, but it just it, it rubs me the wrong way when it sort of seems so at odds with how they're projecting what the company is doing or what it's set to do in the near future. Um, and I think there were some legitimate points around the methodology yeah. of how they're using uh, how they're doing like the quote unquote traditional method, like and how they had submitted results for like how good they are at those traditional methods, um, given that they're only collecting, like they said, like, okay, like a pin, a pinprick worth of blood or like a, a intravenous sample worth of blood, which is like yeah. a little bit of blood yeah. worth, versus a lot of blood for some of those tests. Because an interesting point, um, again, on the biology front, which is, or like I guess the biochemistry front, is like if they're using just a tiny sample of blood and they're doing dilution, um, it actually can have pretty significant impact on the, like the results you get from that blood right. reading. Um, so like if they're claiming like, hey, we're just going to take a pin, you know, pinprick of your blood to do the normal test with normal equipment and they're, the way they're doing that with that normal equipment that requires a lot more volume of liquid is like they're like diluting the blood. Yeah. Um, when they did that, there were actually pretty significantly different results versus just using like Quest or LabCorp's equipment. Yeah. Um, 
that's also a point of like a little bit of concern, right? Or maybe a lot of yeah. concern. Um, and I think they were like, they rebuked that and said that was only for certain tests. Right. They basically stated that the those samples weren't being tested for that metric. And it, it's no, it's yeah. obvious that that metric would have shown poorly because that's not what they were for. But, but there are enough little loose ends like that that sort of had to be wrapped up as they were addressed by like journalists and by like the media. It, it, was, a, it was too neat of a story before. And I think like, I think what we're seeing is like, and I think, you know, this is just the nature of like doing something in this space is it's actually pretty messy. Um, and yeah. it's going to be pretty sort of, there, there's going to be a lot to doing even a little. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's just the nature of it. I think that one of the major criticisms is that they're not open to peer review. They're, they're, they keep claiming that they're voluntarily going through this FDA framework for quality checks, but they're still not open to peer review, even if their IP is protected through this peer review process, which I think yeah. is one of the major uh, arguments against them. One of the quotes that appears time and time again in these articles is like, this is, I understand, like, everybody understands the Silicon Valley approach to having stealth technology development, but it's like, what you're doing is you're claiming you have a new scientific biomedical approach. And for those domains, like, you must peer review stuff. It's not about being hip and being stealthy. It's about having scientific integrity. That's the most important thing. But do you think the concern internally with them is that if they peer review with uh, entrenched interests like Quest and LabCorp, who might have even... There's, there's talk now that this Wall Street Journal article that was the hit piece, at least I, I've construed as a hit piece, was directly in contact with Quest and LabCorp and the representatives there, and it's politically uh, obtuse. Like, I think that fear of peer review revealing secrets is not... An, Why would they have to do it with, with LabCorp or their competitors, though? Couldn't they do it with an like an academic institution or like some other third-party lab like Sanford Burnham or the Salk Institute or like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, something, some organization that doesn't have like a vested interest... Well, I, I think they've thrown off, uh, thrown that criticism off in saying that any aspect of peer review is open to sharing with Quest and LabCorp. They can't control it as much as the FDA and CLI approval process, which I think is a legitimate concern. Uh, if they're truly trying to innovate in this space and fight against the Quest and LabCorp, which again, why I'm falling towards the side of Theranos, which was in stark opposition to my view a week ago, Quest and LabCorp haven't come out with any statement stating how they're fixing this problem. Quest and LabCorp are just slinging more and more shit at Theranos. Oh, and, sure. Absolutely using the chance to pile and, on. And piling on. And they're not offering, um, you know, Theranos, they're not doing this. They're doing it illegitimately. And this is right. what we're doing to improve it. They haven't come right. out with well, so, so if I'm Theranos, I don't, I don't want to use Quest and LabCorp as the people who are going to establish me as like being peer reviewed. I want to go to like, you know, scientifically credible other organizations, but not them. Yeah. Right. I want to go and, and be able to, to rebuke their comments by way of saying, like, I went to some university or something and did some, like, they did they did similar tests with our equipment or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't I think you're right. I think, like, putting it in the hands of Quest or LabCorp seems seems like it would be a bad idea. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, or whomever. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and they feel that that is the conclusion through a peer review process, which might not be true. And I think that in one scenario, they even opted the, the explanation saying that we are resource and time constrained and we can't approach, do that while doing FDA framework, which I think is a bullshit excuse. These guys have raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Billions. Like, if your billions. entire model and investment thesis is predicated on the validity of this new technology, you better fucking figure out a way to allocate resources to do this, right? Little did you know, Monik, the only thing that an Illuminati board can't get you is FDA testing and yeah, peer, peer review, review testing exactly. at the same time. Yeah. It's just impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, I, I agree. mean, I think my view on it now is I think they were definitely selling ahead 
which I think every startup does at some level. Right. This this was this is a pretty extreme level. I feel though. Yeah. I, maybe not extreme, but like it was like more than most you see in like the IT space. It wasn't like you know. It was like this is like their main differentiating factor technically. Yeah. Is like this nanotainer thing, and like you sort of you know that to be a dis- like considered a disruptor in like the biotech space, you have to show something sort of that's a quantum leap like that. And so they really, I think, rightfully sort of said, "Here's our quantum leap." Um, and if that's not the case, then I feel like it's a little bit of a different story than the ones we normally hear. It's not like, oh, we're going to eventually go to like this cloud architecture versus that cloud architecture. Like Dropbox right. will eventually be like super enterprise friendly versus kind of enterprise friendly. Yeah. It's like this was their main yeah, thing. They were literally you know, going like, zero to one. <laughs> and that was the claim, right? And like, and I'm sure when she sat across the, the table from her now crazy famous advisors, that's what she told them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the folks from the Cleveland Clinic who commented and said, like, we support her, we think she's great, but, like, we haven't actually – we can't actually defend the technology even though we've chosen well, to partner then, with Theranos? I mean, then Theranos re- rebuked and said that those uh, quotes were taken out of context, but um, – I'm not sure how much okay. context yeah, maybe you that needed was the case. for those quotes, but, like – because it clearly <laughs> it's like, stated, I don't know, like, but... I don't know. Like, those are their words, not ours. Like, I think the most um, credible threat to them is – that hasn't really made the news, but I saw an article about it was – they claim positive cash flow, which is probably a huge determining factor for them continuing to raise money over these past 10 years from Pfizer and GlaxoSmithKline, GSK, and of course, Walgreens. And we stated the Walgreens is not you know, ready to expand. But Pfizer and GSK apparently stated that they can't find any record of them doing business with Theranos. And that, oh, was, really? wow. that was very alarming to Whoa. me. <laughs> like, even though I'm falling into the Theranos camp, I'm like... Wait a minute! Like, that's a pretty fucking big deal. Like, if you're saying those are your two biggest revenue generating sources, and they're not willing to stand by that they're giving you money, that's huge. So, how that's are you positive cash flow? Yeah. Like, how are you employing all these people? Is it pure burning through all the investment capital you've gotten selling this dream? Have you seen one of their care centers in a Walgreens store before? I have not. No, I have not. So, um, I there is one in the Palo Alto Walgreens store. I think it might have been the first one, um, just a few blocks from where I live. Um, it's like it is exactly sort of how they pitch it. It's like a set aside area of the pharmacy. There's like nice plants and like oak tile, you know, oak tiling and sort of like a really. It says like this ambiance to it, and it's like you go in there, you have like a nanotainer thing, or like they do like blood drawing, and like it's supposed to be this whole care center experience, yeah, like very yeah. therapeutic. And like this is what she talked about a lot, and like or that was featured in a lot of those early articles, like this experience she's crafting with Walgreens. And like you said, like in light of this controversy, I think now Walgreens has stopped or has put on pause their their expansion yeah. of the relationship. And like my assumption was, Walgreens was Walgreens was the exclusive source of income at the moment. But yeah, if like Walgreens is putting them on hold and the other two supposed sources of income are saying they don't have any record of it, yeah. that's, not, that's not a great place to be. Yeah. I mean, Walgreens stated that um, they're willing to expand, but they want to know the truth about what's going on because it must be pretty frightening uh, to them if they've been sold this dream and like heads are rolling probably internally in the organization that they bought into the hype. Uh, Yeah, I mean like, geez. But even with that, even with these claims of GSK, Pfizer not generating revenue, Walgreens not expanding, why I still stand by them is two major things I draw to, which is to which why I think this company is still very forward thinking for the space. One, they are very transparent with their prices. And when you compare their prices online, you can go right now to Theranos, uh, Theranos's main marketing site and click on the test tab and see the prices of their tests. That is unheard of in the healthcare industry. 
So I have to give them props for that. Number two, I think one of the main things you can see in the startup space of when a founder or the leader is selling an idea and raising capital upon it and you know convincing a, a, a clients on a false promise is really looking at what is the internal dynamic looking like? What do employees say about the company? And from the limited understanding I can see from Glassdoor reviews and internal employees talking about the company, there is no qualms and no worries about inauthenticity. And I think those two things factored in, you know, transparency on price is really showing that we are offering this shit cheaper than anyone else. And to everyone internally is not only proud of the work, but happy and has voicing no concerns about cover-ups. I think it leads me to believe that Theranos is working on a very tough problem. They've gotten a lot of investment over 10 years. These people aren't fucking twiddling their thumbs over 10 years. Yes, they're working under a very tough regulatory framework. Yes, they're probably selling some stuff ahead. But when you compare it to the Quest and LabCorps, all these entrenched interests, who would I rather bet on to solve this problem, which we said is a huge problem? It's going to be Theranos. So why throw them under, under the bus? Why not support this entrepreneur with a very tough dream uh, and help them rather than consistently attacking them? Um, so so yeah. I, I, I would absolutely agree with like the crux of what you said, which is like, this is a really hard problem. And like the fact that someone like Elizabeth Holmes and her and like her, her sort of coworkers have chosen to work on this thing over the course of 10 years and shown that resolve, I think is, is really impressive. And I think is like, I am rooting for them to succeed. And I think if there's been any schadenfreuden like sort of shown throughout the course of this conversation, like did not mean for it to come across that way. It's like, yes, there's some issues that seem like they're a little conspicuous or like bizarre like the Pfizer GSK stuff or the Walgreens angle or like but but like at the end of the day like hopefully these are growing pains yeah, and yeah. like if there is like a media hype that has detached itself from the actual technical trajectory of the company like that can be recalibrated hopefully yeah. right it's not like oh the company is doomed they're not going to be able to get to the point they want to it's like maybe the the sort of uh the timeline is different or like the rollout pace is like not quite what people thought but yeah. like fundamentally like they have done what few others have, you know, done in like recent memory, which is they've been a biotechnology company adhering to Silicon Valley roots, which again, around here, as far as the eye can see, there are not many companies like them that sort of are able to have the cachet that they have saying they're working on a very hard set of problems in a space that very few people are going after, like you said, with lots of entrenched interests um, and lots of regulatory hurdles. And so like that combination is super impressive. And, um, you know, as somebody who is, a, you know, like everybody else has to get blood work done occasionally on a personal level, I also like definitely want this technology to succeed. It sounds like in an ideal form or even a semi-ideal form, it'd be awesome. Yeah. I, I do think like hopefully like this controversial episode, if it resolves, when it resolves, like makes the company stronger, right? And it makes them maybe a little bit more resilient to some of this stuff, yeah. but also like maybe calibrate some of their messaging better in the future. So us as people who like, you know, want to see the company succeed, want to benefit from their products can like maybe have a little bit more faith or have a little bit more understanding, like when they actually communicate what they're doing. Um, and like, again, I don't think there was intent to be malicious or maybe even intent to, to deceive or withhold information, but like episodes like this allow you to maybe as a company like that, that's trying to do something yeah. huge in a space that is like very controversial, like calibrate your messaging a little bit better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so learning moments, right. Hashtag learning moments. Yeah. I think that's it. I mean, I think the, the, the toughest part is that when people see this now they're uh, willing to discount Theranos. Um, and I think it just breeds this 
sense that the next time... So this is where I'm conflicted, right? Because even though I stand with Theranos right now, in the back of my mind, I feel that the the vilification of founders and entrepreneurs who are selling a vision that is not real should be there. And it should be in much higher volume than it is currently. And I think the benefit out of this is that people are now, uh, maybe they're throwing Theranos under the bus uh, through slightly unjustified methodology, but I'm actually glad that this happened because the next time someone views a startup, uh, and views a founder story, they're going to be that more hyper aware of what the truth really is, um, and it's so easy to well maybe well we hope we hope they, they are, be. and that's what I hope the the conclusion is is that, but but I think like again it sort of it goes into a, you hope they aren't overly cynical at the same time right it's like there's sort of a balance there yeah, um, yeah. there's definitely a balance but I think that um, you know the, the 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 power of the myth is is so great. That I'm almost glad that this happened and people are more high, uh, attentive to these types of stories uh, because the issue I have generally is that it devalues uh, and the, the hard work some entrepreneurs, authentic entrepreneurs do in the space uh, who are not so willing, who are like more appreciative of the, the troubles and trials and tribulations it takes to run a business and grow a business and them selling a story is just tougher for him or her to do because they realize that they're being inauthentic. And sometimes it's more expedient to be inauthentic and tell a half truth because it gets you more capital. It gets you more friends. It gets you more investors. It gets you more clients, but it might crash and burn at the end of it. And I think that's a, right. So I think there's, there's a couple externalities, right? There's like for the, for that company itself, um, there's like going to be an eventual, like sort of, you know, emperor has no clothes moment. Yeah, if, yeah. You know, if and when at some point, if they continue to perpetuate lies or half-truths. And so like for them individually, it's going to eventually be, you know, a bad deal if they do that. It's right. like sort of the first step to it. But the other step is like, once that happens, like you said, what are the negative externalities that affect every other person doing that? Like, are people going to be overly cynical towards ambitious ideas with people who are a little bit more diligent, yeah. a little bit less, yeah. less verb, you know, uh, prone to the same troubles um and like will those people then get unwilling undue sort like amounts of cynicism and scrutiny um because of somebody else's screw up right 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 um and like maybe it all sort of evens out at the end of the day but like yeah it's like it it expands beyond the company or the person themselves and they do something like this yeah yeah i'm hoping it'll balance out when i think that right now we're living in a in a time i mean you're in the west coast i'm here in new york Uh, startups are growing in both uh both markets where i think the balance is still tipped towards the myth um, and there's undue benefit that comes from it, and more often than not, undue pain that comes from the myth, uh, where people are raising capital, convincing people of stories, convincing employees of stories and clients of stories that are just that that are just that that are stories. Um, and I think that it it just makes the work of an authentic entrepreneur so much tougher, um, because that's who you're competing. I would with, agree with right? you. Because like, if if you know that your quote-unquote competitor is willing to be slightly inauthentic and uh, it, it, almost a snake oil salesman, you're almost forced into pos- the position of doing so uh, because that's the only way to compete. Um, so leveling the playing field at some level I think is good. And I think this kind of out- outbreak over a private company, I think uh, it tips the balance appropriately. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, 
And I think like like the peril you said that you highlighted is is something I definitely that definitely resonates with me, detracting from those that are being authentic or trying to do things the the quote unquote right way. But I do think like it's important to have some amount of you know it's, the, the myth is important, the storytelling is important, yeah, being able yeah. to craft a tale that's evidence based and believable. Like people should people should ideally gravitate towards your story and to your narrative because there's you know, they believe in the core of it. They believe like maybe there's. There, there's skill to doing it, but I think like hopefully it's an element of what makes the entrepreneurial journey compelling or makes a company as an idea compelling yeah. or whatever, a venture compelling of any sort. Um, and, and again, like I think the part that I worry about sort of that isn't immediate, but like maybe medium or long term is like the people become so cynical of potential stories that sound that sound like this, that sound sort of overdrawn yeah. or sound embellished that like people just calibrate against epic things, right? right? right they calibrate right. against like any sort of thing that sounds ambitious because they assume there's got to be something like there's got to be some Achilles heel to the whole thing. And like, there's always going to be flaws, but like if, if the, if this happens one too many times to investors do like the, does the general public suddenly start to roll their eyes whenever somebody who might have the next big thing comes around yeah. and says like, Hey, I actually have like a really in, interesting idea and we should all back. Yeah. It. There's always this sense of like daring to dream and the naivety of the individual plays a huge role. And if you start like, removing that naivety then the the risk of jumping in and doing something uh, is not worth it anymore um you have to like be naive enough to change the world to actually change it because if you knew all the hurdles ahead of you you wouldn't do it at all and i think that the risk is like the external criticism imposing itself on any idea could stop that right in its tracks so i agree with that i think that that is a real fear there's a balance. All about the balance. Yeah, the balance, dude. Even um, last episode, we were talking about the balance, dude. Got to have that work-life balance. The middle, yeah, the middle path, the balance, <laughs> the, the the ephemeral evenness that we're pursuing in all aspects of life. I know, man. It must be really hectic though at Theranos right now, dude. I can't, I can't imagine how yeah, bad it is right now. That's what. Whenever there's these sorts of firestorm controversies, you always wonder how. Yeah, like 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 you said, it's a good it's a good sign that the employees are reaffirming, you know, their their sort of belief in the in the goals of the company, their love for the company, because like when something like this hits, it really is a test for like how 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 much do people inside believe the narrative and believe like the authenticity of what the company says it's doing, yeah. and what it's actually doing. So yeah, best of luck to Theranos. Best of luck, Elizabeth. Of luck. I believe in you. It'll all work yeah, out. I mean, she apparently she flies on a Gulfstream. Private jets. So oh yeah. If you ever want to give us, if you ever want to give us a lift somewhere, that'd be appreciated too. Yeah. Sounds not a lift, dude. An Uber somewhere, dude. Oh right. Well, I mean a lift <laughs> yeah, on a I private know. plane. <laughs> Apparently, Uber had a private jet service going between New York and the Hamptons for a while. Did you hear about this? No. I think it was just a promotional thing, but they had like private helicopters or private planes going between NYC and the Hamptons. Yeah, damn. That's pretty cool. I mean, I mean, I thought you would have been on one. Of those planes, man. <laughs> So one of the other things you had listed on us to talk about for some reason during this show is vampires. You wanna you wanna discuss why? <laughs> oh, yeah, that is? you know, like well this is the thing, like one, it's Theranos, like there's this whole aspect of extracting blood. Blood blood. Yeah, blood. But like also Elizabeth Holmes herself, conspiracy theory dude. Let me get my tinfoil hat out, but Elizabeth Holmes, vampire? She <laughs> She's not she's not actually thirty, she's like three thousand. <laughs> she like when she speaks it's like a very odd cadence and she looks uh, like very pale. I'm just saying, 
And maybe she knew all of these like eighty to ninety year old people on her board because she's actually much older, it, and she like knew like, them. How in did prior she get life. Henry Kissinger on the board? Did she offer Henry Kissinger immortal life and say like, <laughs> maybe he just hates needles that much? Maybe my my guess is this is all a front to spread vampirism. But more more interestingly, I just thought it was odd <laughs> that Elizabeth Holmes like. Like looks ethereal, uh, like very old people. People on the board, board all have extreme degrees of control over the world we live in. As we said, they are literally the Illuminati. Vampirism uh, might play a role here. Blood is involved. That's all I'm saying. When you add when it up, you add it up. Vampirism. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's true. I mean, that's a theory that I think you might be onto the next controversy. I know, right? Like you, you should probably write that up. Put, <laughs> put a medium post out about this. Yeah. So you can like, so you'll go get cited and you'll get this credit when this eventually their becomes down. A, their uh, affiliation. It's it's vampires. actually not, nothing to do with the technology. It's the fact they're actually run by vampires. Yeah. <laughs> um, and our society is just too bigoted to allow that to exist. All all vampire lives matter. Vampire <laughs> lives matter. Uh, do you do you recall? Like I know you're not super into horror and vampires, but really do you not. like? Have you watched any of like classic vampire movies like Blade uh, and like Nosferatu uh, and stuff like that? I like how you put Blade and Nosferatu in the same <laughs> they're category. They're classics, dude. They're classics from different time periods, but they're classics. I've watched. I forget which Blade I've seen. I've seen either Blade One or Blade Two. Yeah. Uh, all I remember is if it was Blade Two, you really didn't have to watch Blade One to get much of it. It was pretty. What's that? What's that show with the light? Or not the show? The movie with the lichens and the the werewolves and Underworld. The, Underworld. Yeah. Underworld. Yeah. That's it. That's like the that's like the one movie of that general like horror like period of time that I I remember. Yeah, Underworld's Underworld's pretty solid. I mean, Blade. I mean, Blade. I I I think like one of my favorite scenes in all of movie making is the first scene of Blade, where they enter the rave. Do you remember this? Where the vampire takes uh, a human into a rave, and uh, in the rave there's music blaring, and then suddenly the sprinkler starts sprinkling blood, and it's a blood rave. Um, and it's a pretty incredible scene. Uh, but I recently found out that Blade actually has a TV series, not with Wesley Snipes, because he was in jail at the time. Uh, he's out, I think. I think he's out. Oh, he's out of jail? Oh, yeah. that means there's still hope for so. Blade 4. All right. All right. <laughs> he, did, he, did, he, did his, uh, he did his time for tax evasion. But the question, I mean, like, are you, uh, I mean, would you be willing to be a vampire? Like, also the classical constraints so of vampire, immortal, uh, let's say they have like a super speed, super strength, uh, cannot be in the sunlight, is a fearful of silver, and you have to feed. But let's say there is an avenue for you to feed that you don't have to inflict harm on other humans. Would you be willing to adhere to an immortal lifestyle of a vampire or not? You know, like the super strength and super speed might be compelling. Like the whole living forever thing, I'm not like, I don't know. Like I, I would much rather be a werewolf. I think Why? if I had to choose Why? among all these common myths, it just seems cooler. Um, yeah, but like when you like transition the, into a werewolf, there's like a pain involved because your whole body is like a forming into the werewolf. Yeah, well, you know, it hurts Wolverine every time he draws his claws out, but it's still badass. So that's true. Wolverine is pretty badass. You know, so the the idea of an immortal life doesn't appeal to you. I mean, like in like sort of an abstract level, I guess. But like, I like sunlight. And I like eating things that aren't blood. So like, you know. Yeah, like, but I mean, like, right, I what chick- I'm saying is, like, the vampire will enjoy the taste of blood. But, like, do you find... It sounds like you're very convinced this is the right... <laughs> like, <laughs> you want to be a well, vampire. Well, one is, like, I'm very intrigued by the idea of, like... 
So I so I like sunlight. Yeah, okay, you know, fair enough. Yeah, you like putting sun, that out sunlight. there. And I also like it sounds like like they predominant like they get their nutrition from feeding on blood. It's like maybe they can eat other things, but like it has to be that's like blood is like your mainstay. It's, it's like a mainstay, yeah. I don't like eating like rare meat, like even. Like it's like But you have to understand blood, like, is, like your eating... subjective uh, understanding of how blood tastes now will be different when you're a vampire. With when you're a vampire, it's like a basic source of sustenance and it'll taste better. If it tastes like the best cooked chicken does right now, then maybe I'd be down yeah. for that. But like for me, like I'm um, intrigued by one, the societal aspect of like the subculture of vampires. This idea of the other is intriguing to me. But I think the the main intriguing aspect is like immortal life. Is there are a lot of things I'm looking forward to, and I want to know when self driving cars are happening. And if the timeline is off. And Uber doesn't get it right on time. Like I might not be alive, and I want to experience that. And an immortal life will get me there. So it's like, well, you don't, well, if you're immortal, you don't have to worry about driving. You could drive all you want because you don't have to worry about crashing and dying, that's right? True. You can just you'll be immortal. You can you can still die. Like it depends on uh, the the backstory of the vampire in terms of if you're adhering to like a Bram Stoker vampire or like a Blade vampire or. Some other type of vampire depends, but generally you can die. Twilight, or you're the, adhering to, let's just say you're adhering to Twilight. <laughs> I'm not familiar with the vampirism that afflicts. You glitter, you glitter in the, dark, <laughs> in the sun or in the, the dark, I forget which one. But you can reasonably assume that if you get in a crash, you will be resistant enough to survive that. But if like someone like chops off your head, you're going to die. Like if you're a vampire, you're going to die, regardless of silver or not. It sounds like there's a lot of research involved in making this decision. I'm just not educated enough to make this decision. <laughs> But that's interesting. Like, I think the allure of immortal life is huge. Like, it almost makes me immediately say yes, that I will I will drink anyone's blood. Like, I don't care if I can live and experience all the things that the human experience has to give forever. I would much... But you're not going to be human. You're going to be a vampire. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the common common things would still exist, right? Like the... But only the things that happen at night. Well, the best things happen at night, right? I don't know. I, li- I like sunny days. I like going on walks in the sunshine. That is true. It's nice. I just imagine you being a vampire and doing the exact same thing you do right now. <laughs> like, not yeah, no, not much difference. Going like, to the rave with Parasite, whatever that other guy's name. I was. never use my super speed and my super strength for like anything. Cause it's like it's like ah oh, shit. I was drinking this fucking Fireball and I crushed the bottle with my super strength. Damn it. I wish I wasn't a vampire. Have you finished the bottle of Fireball? You're I did, on? dude. Is I finished the entire bottle of Fireball throughout this throughout this cast. It was good. Cinnamon whiskey. It's a great drink. It is a great drink. I remember when we first drank Fireball in college, and I thought it was like this, like I'm like, oh, this is like an interesting, the elixir. We, interesting, we like it the elixir. specific, you know, like elixir that like not many people know about. Then, you know, I slowly start to realize like, everybody drinks Fireball, yeah. and everybody knows exactly what. It, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was that was disappointing. Oh well, still the holy elixir though. Still, my go-to. If it's if there's fireball on the counter, I'll take a shot of fireball. It is, it is quite good. I mean, I, I, you know what I haven't noticed is that in all of these vampire movies and shows and books, like the famous uh, book by Anne Rice and made into a movie, Interview with a Vampire, they never show the vampires consuming regular things like, like food or drink. That's what I'm like, saying. I, I, really, I really like a lot of regular food, so if I had to give that all up. Like, like you said, and I don't know 110% that blood is going to be an awesome thing that I like even more. Like, that's that's a deal breaker, potentially. It is a deal breaker, but when you juxtapose it to immortal life, like, if there's a time period knowing what you know about the hit... If you're, if you're asking me to, to compare food against immortal life, I think you might be surprised at my answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you could go back in time, like, what time period would you want to live in? Is this the time period you want to live in? 
Yeah, so it always comes down to me to like the to the medical aspect. It's like, yeah, it'd be awesome to go to Renaissance Italy. It'd be awesome to go to like ancient India or ancient Japan or like ancient Greece um, or like the turn of the industrial yeah. era. But then I always think like... Life sucked back then. Like you might have been a surf. Yeah. <laughs> and like... No, not only that, but it's like, what would happen if I like stepped on a nail and got like tetanus or like you know, something bad, like, like medically had to, you know, happen and I had to get like operated on. They had to like chop yeah, off my leg Yeah, but remember the variable like, here is you have the ancient blood disease of vampirism and you would survive it. Oh, so you're saying I'm a vampire yeah. in ancient times. Like I, what I'm saying is like, imagine if like there's a time period that you wanted to live in and those, you could reasonably assume that those types of time periods and historical events would occur in the future. Wouldn't you want to live an immortal life so you can experience okay, those? So maybe I haven't thought about it quite specifically. Monik, what is your specific time-traveling <laughs> vampire fantasy? Well, like in the future state, like I want to see where the world goes. But like, I like how there's no hesitation there. You just jump yeah, in. Yeah, like no hesitation. Future state, I want to see where the world goes. Ideally, I want, I, I wish I was a vampire doing like a, a shogun era of Japan's history and be part of the Tokugawa shogunate and be an actual samurai because I think that like the the values they held dear, like um, uh, ad- uh, adherence to a, a family, uh, respect for your siblings, respect for your offspring, respect to the dynasty, and everything was goal oriented, and there was a sense of solidarity and respect that I think is more than anywhere but you, else. But you couldn't like the whole system revolves around honor and the idea that your life implicitly has a sense of honor that it can be removed if you are dishonored or you do something dishonorable. Yeah, yeah. And if you can't die, if you can't die... Well, that, you know, that, that's, that's the variable, right? Like, so if I made a mistake and I had to commit seppuku, like, little do they know, I'm a fucking vampire, dude. I'm going to survive this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a very specific <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess that makes sense. I also like the armor. Like, the armor of the samurai looks fucking boss. Have you seen The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise? I, you know, it's been on my list of things to watch. That does look badass, though. Yeah, they fucking, like, roll up that Gatling gun that, against me. Let me, let like, me clarify. The poster just looks really badass for that. Yeah, movie. everyone was up in arms because a white guy was <laughs> was the leader <laughs> in, in, in the Shogunate, which was uh, not true. Well, that was the whole, but that was the point. It's not like we're, they were trying to rewrite history. They were just saying that was the point of this movie. He's like a, a soldier that becomes the leader of a Shogunate, but it's like, I understand, like, it's not like they were saying, like, oh, by the way, like, in ancient Japan, all the leaders were white guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, that's the idea of, the, again, going back to the myth. Like, when people watch The Last Samurai, their now uh, internal view of Japan's history at that time was there was a white dude who, you know, saved everyone. <laughs> it's like, that's not true. It's not exactly true. <laughs> he might have been a vampire. He might have been trying to I want to see that movie, mashup of Last Samurai and Interview with the Last Vampire. Like, that would be great. You should make that movie. Maybe, dude. <laughs> but I'm just so surprised. Like, I, I asked this question to other people, and it's the same response. Like, I don't think people have a strong affinity to living eternally. And I just don't, I, I just fundamentally don't understand why. And it's not that, like, we talked in the last episode, the idea of fear of death and an afterlife. Well, I think it's like, it's it, it comes from that, though. It's like the fear of, like, you don't think about your life as limiting all the time. So you don't, I think, value immortality like to the degree you would if you like could really feel the limitations of your life every moment. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, yeah, I guess that's probably most of it. And it's also just like maybe you would eventually get bored of life if like you live for like a million years. I think years. that's the main criticism <laughs> like, is that the limitation of life incentivizes you to get shit done. And if you lived internally, you'd just be like chilling. It's like, ah, fuck, like I'm just going to just gonna sleep. <laughs> It's like what they say about art, right? In the absence of constraints, like, what can you produce? So it's like in the absence of having any constraints in your life, like, what would you ever do? Yeah. Um, 
that's a whole discussion in itself. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if they ever find uh, a blood disease that allows people to live forever, uh, sign me up. And Theranos, if you're going to be the main distributor of this through your finger pricking methodology, like I'm down. Well, you'll be happy. You'll be happy to know, like some that might be a little bit more, like less fictitious, but still pretty fictitious way of becoming a vampire. In effect, is um, one of the characters in Metal Gear Solid is a guy named Vamp. <laughs> Vamp is basically an immortal. Yeah. Because of his nano, he has specific nano machines that oh, allow him to regenerate really, really fast. So he gets shot and killed, but he'll like heal right away and like be revived. Yeah. And so, like in effect, he's like this vampire guy. All of his mannerisms are very vampire-like. But then you slowly figure out because like the Deus Ex Machina of the entire series is nano machines. Yeah. The reason he can become a vampire type guy is because he has like little robots like Ray Kurzweil style inside of him that like repair him super fast. You know, that's not a, that that far fetched of a future though, right? Like we already have, we already have an understanding that telomeres are things uh, mm-hmm. in your DNA that people are uh, are connecting to the aging process and that every time your DNA replicates, they get eroded away, but they're finding ways to extend that. We already have pretty large departments like at Cornell, purely focused on nanomachines and nanotechnology that do automatic repair internally to the body and can be injected. Um, so maybe it's maybe the constraint of needing blood might not exist and we just benefit from nanomachines and telomere uh, reducing the idea of telomere reduction to live much, much longer. And I think they've actually done this with rats uh, already, where they've actually changed telomere reduction and they've extended the life almost 50-60% in rats. Um, So it's getting there. It's getting there. The future is closer than we think. It's a callback to a prior episode. Oh, man, I can't wait. <laughs> nanomachines. 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 They're in there. The robots. AI, dude. Nanomachines. AI, nanomachines. It's going to happen. It's, it's happening, dude. The vampires are coming. And the question is are you going to be in? Or are you going to be out? I will gladly take an injection of nanomachines. Yeah. <laughs> Vampire, not so much, but nanomachines bring it on. And then you got, you think of the vampires, but the, the, the funny thing is with the, um, the increase in VR tech, like. The entire immortal life is then lived via VR. So you're like living a virtual life, even though you're living immortally. And then shit gets crazy, dude. That's when it starts getting crazy. <laughs> like, Yeah, that's when the definition of reality starts to blur. Yeah. Well, that's a myth we got to sell, dude. That's a story we got to tell. That's the dream I'm going <laughs> to tell. Yeah, exactly. Homeboys invest in me. I got the, this mana machine VR tech lined up. <laughs> It's a nanomachine VR tech. Uh, we're on the road to having that solution. In the meantime, it's just a PSP yeah, game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's... <laughs> Vita. It's a Vita game, dude. It's life. It's a it's a Vita game, but in the future, it'll be a nanomachine-centric <laughs> VR experience. Vita is life. You can't peer review this shit. Because you can't, you can't peer review my own subjective experience of reality, dude. I'm just not... You can't, you can't criticize that. It's what I see. I mean, those who are, uh, those who are fluent in non-duality duality understand this. But, uh, <laughs> exactly fda get at me fda it's it's like some of those rules as to what the fda does and doesn't do again just perplexing yeah, I thought it, it's like oh yeah <laughs> well, generally, we... i thought it was odd how theranos is like we voluntarily did this i'm like why is this voluntary like shouldn't this be demanded <laughs> like well it's not even just what's demanded like the fda is like 
it's like Quest, like in like LabCorp, don't have like it's like ah good enough. You guys are using equipment that's been tested. It's like really like those guys don't have to do a single yeah. FDA test. Like what if they modified the equipment? Yeah, exactly. What if they like fucking put something in? It's like nah good enough. I'm literally living my life off these diagnostics. Like uh, right. <laughs> like, well, like, like well, that was a story that came back from that lady who went to a did a Theranos thing with like oh, this right, is when they suspected right. their their dilution methods were kind of. Um, like kind of wrong or whatever. It's like she's like it said she was like gonna die like tomorrow or something. <laughs> it's like shit. <laughs> that she went and got like a normal test at Stanford. It's like, like oh no, you good? Oh you yeah, good. you're fine. <laughs> it's, like, it's like what the? F- it's like it's what? Like, I've been I've been injecting uh, insulin myself like these past six months. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like Jesus. Oh, yeah. That is not good. The moral of the story is authenticity is key. You gotta be true. You gotta be real. Remember what we said. Remember what we heard from Alan. Uh, Palomo, who's like, I, I called him Adam Palomino last oh, yeah, time, yeah, Neon yeah. Indian. It's Alan Palomo, Palomo yeah, or yeah. so. Palomo. Um, again, in his presentation, originality is impossible, but authenticity is key. It really is. Episode 8 on live. Actually, this is episode 9. I said we're going to skip 8. We're being unpredictable. Well, we'll see. We're going to keep him guessing. guessing. We said we would skip 8, but are we actually going but to skip But now we're saying we actually did 8. We're confirming 8. So maybe it's 9 we're skipping. We don't know. I don't know. Non-duality. Duality. <laughs> Fact check us on episode nine. Fact check.